Bad leaders are everyone's worst nightmare, giving you the ultimate playbook to lead, inspire, and grow your team. Better tech leadership powered by BrainHub. Hey, Sylvan, I'm uh, really happy to have you here today. Uh, we'll talk about startups and how to build them uh, successfully, which is not such an obvious thing. <laughs> uh, and um, you are involved in uh, Swiss Prenors, you're involved in a Swiss ecosystem of startups. So uh, you have, I think, you have heard pl plenty of uh, lessons learned from those guys, and you have your own lessons learned, which I'm really eager to hear uh, more about today. But maybe before we start, you can uh, introduce yourself really shortly uh, to the listeners. Sure, yeah. Thank you for the invitation, Matt. Great to be here today. Um, my name is Sylvan. I was born in the rural area of the Emmental in Switzerland, where the cheese comes from, but then discovered my passion for startups in high school, basically, and have been uh, an entrepreneur ever since, basically. So... I only did my bachelor's degree, studied business there, and then directly jumped into starting my own first company in the fitness uh, space. We sold that after three years. And then uh, after supporting the acquiring company uh, for two years, I then found my way to a passion project of mine, Swisspreneur. It's the biggest podcast in Switzerland. We also host events and do investments in startups. So this is my passion project. And my day job is uh, actually just coming to an end now. Uh, this month in June 2023, but I'm the CEO at Rentouch, a Swiss SaaS application for agile teams with a global customer base that we just sold about uh, one and a half months ago. Nice. Uh, thanks, Silvan, for the for the intro. So maybe you can start uh, from the uh, from the Rentouch uh, uh, Rentouch uh, company. Um, during our last talk, you. You, you told me a few interesting stories about the operating system and the insights around it. What, uh, what, what have you built there? So I, I think this is really interesting. So maybe you could, you could tell a bit more, uh, about this approach, about the operators. So, so for us, it was really important as we were scaling up the company, you know, we were growing not only in terms of revenue, but also in terms of headcount. And we really wanted to get ready for the next growth stage to build a very bigger company than we were just uh, and five guys, you know, going to the office or working remotely. So for us, it was really important to get conscious about how do we operate as a company. And we called that the Rentouch operating system. And we initially started with the values. So together with the team, we first defined the values. There were six core values that we came up with with the team. Uh, one of them, for example, balance, that was very important to the team, but also, you know, uh, ambition to really think big and have ambitious goals, etc. So we started with the values because that was sort of the core of working together. Then we defined the mission and the vision. The mission for us was like, why do we exist as a company? Why do we get up in the morning and go to work? What, what is it that we actually do that motivates us? And the vision is then sort of the longer term view of where we want to go. This can be very ambitious and also quite mid to long-term focus, but it's really the far out goal where you want to go as a company. So in our case, at the beginning, that was an ARR goal. And then we got a bit more abstract to really help and empower companies that we work with. And once you have these three points, values, mission, and vision, you then actually come up with the strategy, right? How do you want to get closer to the vision every day? What is your strategy to actually get there as a whole company with your whole team? And from there, 
we then started to break that down into bi-monthly uh, goals and objectives that our teams and the different departments, so to speak, were working on and actually developing to really execute the strategy and get closer to that vision and the overall goals. And once you have that, it's like a whole from top to down, right? What is the key basis of how we work together? Why do we exist? Where do we want to go? And how do we make sure that we get a bit closer every day? Once you have that structure, it's then on the other hand, very crucial to have some operational parts that actually help you to put a system in place to make sure that everyone is aligned and that issues and problems come up that you can actually solve them together as an organization. So on top of the things that I just mentioned, we then also introduced one-on-ones. Every Wednesday, we reserved the whole Wednesday for internal meetings. And in the morning, our team leads were doing their one-on-ones with their teams to really understand how does the individual contribute to the goals and the actual bi-monthly goals that the teams wanted to achieve? Where did they need support? What issues or problems did they see? Then afterwards, we had a leadership meeting uh, where we actually were directly addressing these issues that came up in the one-on-ones and also additional issues, of course, that we brought to the table. And to wrap up the day, we then had an all-hands 30 minutes, the whole company, to sort of show what they were working on the previous week make important announcements, and also communicate important decisions that we already made to tackle the issues that came up in the morning. And that allowed us to be really fast-paced, to have enough time to really align and have time for conversations, to stay focused on the goals, etc., but to also not overkill it and lose productivity unnecessarily by having too many meetings or being too stretched out. So Wednesday was a brutal day because there were so many internal meetings that you had to take and to really align. But all the other days, we had complete freedom to do sales with customers, to support customers, to code, to develop our application. And that really helped us to to deliver good and have a high impact as a small team. Nice. Pretty well organized. Uh, pretty well organized as for a startup, let's say. It's usually not like that. It's a pure chaos. <laughs> so, so respect. Um, yeah, and and you mentioned the the growth, the rapid growth that you got. So you scaled the team a bit, uh, and I'm just wondering any valuable lessons learned on the way. Maybe any any do's or don'ts, let's say, that you have in mind. Sure. So I I think we didn't really have that rapid growth. You know, from five to seventeen people. I mean, sure, it's a bit of a growth, but it's not like massive. You have hundreds of new employees. But I think there are two things that actually stuck out whenever we were looking at people to hire. I think the saying of it's either hell yes or hell no, that really is true. When you're not sure if you want to hire someone, just don't do it. You you have to be really, I want this person on the team. I'm excited that this person will join the team. And I want to do everything I can to get that person to join our company. And if you have doubts and you think, it could work, but I'm not sure. Just don't do it. You will waste your time, energy, and money. And probably later down the road, two or three months in, you decide to separate ways and it didn't work out. That also, of course, happened with us, you know, multiple times. And we had to learn that the hard way that, hey, it's either hell yes or it's a hell no. And I would say the second thing that also goes into recruiting, but because that was really the, the big problem to solve. You know, once you have your customer base, you have some recurring revenue, you sort of have proven that you have found product market fit. It's then really all about bringing the right people to scale the company. I think then 
it's not that much of a sales and marketing problem. It still is, of course, but you figured that out along the way a bit. It then really becomes a recruiting problem. And I think there to really invest early on in a good recruiting process and also make sure that you provide a career path, keep people accountable, maybe have a very good salary structure that is transparent and fair to everyone. These basics to really make sure that you can grow from there and that it's not chaos. I think that's something that is key uh, and also learning that we had along the way. Great. I, I think those are the great and uh, awesome pieces of advice. I mean, the one hell yes or no, uh, hell no. I fully agree with that. I used the same, uh, same thing, the same approach, and it was always really helpful. It's not always like you will be not always like 100% successful because hiring people is super difficult. But I mean, it's really helpful. I heard the similar approach from from one VC and investors, and, uh, and they are saying the same thing. So uh, I love the idea. Fully agree. Um, and Matt, uh, we talk about hiring people in US, uh, especially on the uh, on the sales side or soft skills side, and you had some experiences here. Uh, do you have your own approach here or, you know, how to be successful with that? Because this is really difficult and could cost you a lot of money, right? Sure. Yeah. To, to be honest, we were just starting out with the U.S. recruiting and it is different and also very difficult, as you mentioned. So a, a few learnings that we had there is multiple times we were very close on closing a deal, a contract with a, a sales rep or even a VP sales, but then they dropped out last minute because of personal reasons or because they accepted a different offer. And I think that is a fundamental difference compared to Europe or also especially Switzerland. But when you talk to someone and you get close to, you know, preparing a contract for them, it's it's almost 90, 95% sure that this deal will close. In the US, the deal is only closed when the contract is signed, right? When the offer letter is being signed. And before that, they, they usually chuckle multiple offers at the same time and then only make the decision last minute which one they want to go for because everything is so much more fast-paced and also way more flexible. And it's all about keeping the options open, etc. So that we learned is a fundamental difference to how we do recruiting in Europe. And also then, you know, how to get in touch with people, etc. We, we leveraged our own network. So that helped a lot to get introductions to people. And we were first looking for a combination of having sales experience, of course, and having led sales teams in the past, that was for the VP sales role, but also industry experience, where we said, you, you need to know how our product, our framework, etc., works. And that was a very, very small niche, you know, having both of that in one person, that is quite difficult. And we realized that a bit later on, and then we also changed the strategy a bit. And we said, we want you to have proven the skill set that we're looking for. So VP sales, you need to have led sales teams in the past, but the the industry experience is something that we then decided that's something we can train you on. It's a plus if you already have it, but it's not a, a prerequisite because that's something that we think if you have an interest in learning that, you can learn. So I think it's really good to to figure out what skill sets are you looking for and recruiting for them. And then the it, industry knowledge is something that you could probably also train for. And then you know, a few smaller things. Uh, we didn't have a legal entity in the US. We still don't have one there today. So we then also work with employer of record service, like, you know, 
remote.com, for example, um, to hire the people, which make it much, much easier. But there also be prepared that the structure for benefits, healthcare, etc., is very different compared to Europe. And actually on top of the regular salary, you need to do proper calculations um, because the salary expenses will be much higher than what you actually pay them because of the benefits, etc. And yeah, I think it's also have a very clear understanding, not only in the US, but in general of what you're looking for and make sure that you also tell your potential employee what you expect from them and support them with like very specific onboarding plans on, hey, here are the first 10 days, here are the first 30 days and the first 90 days. This is what I expect you to do. Here's how we support you and be really close and help them to become successful. Um, I think it's even more important in the US, but overall that uh, is globally applicable, I would say. Nice. Um, and let's discuss your the, the organization side and uh, let's get back to the operating system. I'm just wondering about your approach to setting OKRs or uh, handling the KPIs within your organization. So how, how did you approach it? So there are, there are two ways, right? There are the KPIs per se. For us, this is more like a health metric. So we have the key KPIs, like do we have any downtime? What's our MRR or ARR? Um, how much is the churn, et cetera. These are like health metrics that we as a management team tracked on a weekly basis in our weekly uh, leadership meetings. I think that stuff is important to always keep track on also like cash on the bank, et cetera. And when you are falling off or you see, hey, this is going the wrong direction, then you open an issue and you talk about it and you decide about countermeasures. Very simple, but it's it's more of a like, you track it and only things go wrong, you then adapt and change something. The other part about OKRs, um, what we did is we had a bit of a higher rhythm, often you do that on a quarterly basis. We decided to go for a bi-monthly basis, so six to, to eight weeks basically uh, was our cadence quite fast. And at the beginning, we as a leadership team sort of said, these are the OKRs, and then we introduced them to the team and we did a planning together. That wasn't the best approach because we sort of lost the buy-in from the team there. And then we learned it's okay to have a focus that we can define as a leadership team. For us, it was mainly, uh, you know, increase ARR, of course, as a software company, uh, improve the value of the product, that could be anything, and also improve our operational excellence. That could be recruiting, that could be processes, whatever it is. These are the three overarching things. And then we as a management team set sort of the focus there, but then we let the teams come up with their own OKRs in the actual planning. So we said, this is the focus, but then the teams formulated their own OKRs together with the team leads to also have that buy-in and make sure that you also not only say, oh, my boss told me to do that, but actually, okay, that makes sense as a focus for the company. And now I think about how I can contribute to that goal with my team or as an individual. And that made a big difference and increased the happiness of the team. Okay, that's that's great. Pretty well organized and really fast. I mean, like each two months. Uh, I agree, it was fast. Um, and the topic that we tackled is the incentives for the leadership team. I think this is really interesting, and this is not so well this uh, not so detailed discussed. I mean, how to keep those guys before and after exit, especially uh, incentivize. Uh, and motivated uh, 
how we approach. So you're talking here about the incentives before you sell the company and afterwards, how you do that, right? And oh boy, that's a very difficult topic. Um, I, I think in general incentives, not only in an M&A process, but in just in general, how you incentivize your employees, how you incentivize your management team. This is such a key topic that I think you should probably invest a lot more time than you do right now. So for me, if you focus on the M&A process, I think you should invest a lot of time in the due diligence process on the part of the incentivizations before you actually close a deal. So in my perspective, it would be best if you have face-to-face -face chats, conversations with at least every management team member to get a better understanding about the state of the company, but also the personal and the company goals. And from my experience, I think it's crucial that you have a joint vision where you want to go and you need to align that with everyone to make sure that where you want to take the company is also aligned with what they want to do and achieve personally. You know. Maybe someone says, hey, I prefer small teams. And then you want to grow the company after the acquisition to thousands of employees. It's good if you discover that early on because that person might then not be the best fit for the plan that you have. But it's important to have these conversations to then make sure that the personal goals overlap with the vision and the goals that you set for the company. And once you have figured that out, then it's only then the right time to put the corresponding incentives into place and structure a deal the way that you reward behavior that gets you to the goal where you want to take the company. And I think what often goes wrong is that you see, oh, there's this fancy technology or they have this amazing customer base. So you want to acquire that company because it's a good fit. Strategically, it makes a lot of sense, but you completely forget about the understanding what the motivation of the people behind it is and forget to draw and incentivize them on a joint vision and mission, basically. And that's, I think, if you invest what I just mentioned before, understand, map, and really understand how you can do that on a personal level. If you invest that time, you can significantly reduce um, you know, the churn of employees after an acquisition and also keep the value or even increase the value of your acquisition. Because one certain way to kill the value of your acquisition is to not have any plan. Uh, go in there and not align on any vision or joint goals or anything. And then people are just plan and clueless, right? And I think that would just significantly lower the value of the money that you just put on the table. Yeah. It's a good process. Yeah. Um, and regarding the the team composition, and I, I, what, what I wanted to ask, Today, the teams are really distributed, right? So you have uh, people working remote, you have in-house uh, guys, you have, sometimes you have teams or people outsource. Uh, so every, everybody is really highly distributed. Do you have any advices here? What would you advise how to make this collaboration successful? Sure. So for us, it was important to benefit from the remote or hybrid approach, but still make sure that we don't lose each other, right? So what we try to do is go for a good balance. It's not always easy, but what we did is we had weekly all hands, 30 minutes, and everyone had to connect with video. And you also needed to ensure that you have good internet, good audio quality, that you can actually join the meetings and be productive, right? Then the second part is be very transparent about the OKR progress. So also every week we then showed on charts where do we stand in terms of actually achieving the goals that we set for ourselves and for the teams? 
And then also add about what you were working on to give context on, oh, Matt is actually building that and he achieved this and that last week. To have that visibility, I think is important. But then don't forget about the fun part. Add some fun part like a virtual game night or in the weekly all hands, we also added like a question of the week where I could just ask you about anything like, what, what do you do when you're not working or what's your favorite movie? It could be anything, but just to have also more personal note. And then on top of that, we decided to do two physical retreats uh, throughout the year. So we would fly everyone into the same location and stay there for three, four days and mainly have fun together. You know, go to escape rooms, go and have dinner, discover a new city and really connect together on a personal level that you also feel part of a team. And I think that is crucial and also a challenge if you have a hybrid or a remote setup, right? Because then you can just feel like I'm working, I see the people in video, but you don't have any deeper connection to your team. And I think it's crucial to set it up that way as good as possible offline, you know, two times a year, but also as good as possible online with the little things about question of the week or virtual game nights, etc. Great. Thank you. Um, and I wanted to get back more to talk about your biggest lessons, Larry, uh, as a leader in tech industry. I mean, do you have any, uh, like a lesson that you feel this was the most important, but have you learned during the, uh, journey? I think it's a bit counterintuitive. Um, but for me, like everything compounds. I, I know that from, you know, investing. So you know about the compounding effect on investments, but I think that's also very much true for relationships, for example, or for what you build with your company. It takes time to get it off the ground. And then the more you invest in it over the longer period of time, the higher the rewards will be. So I think staying in the game long enough, ideally bootstrapped, because then you can stay forever. And you might just find something or hit something that actually works and can then build a great business around it. And for me, it's a bit the same, you know, I, I love hitting the gym and that's actually where I got that learning from, I would say a bit. So it's not about going to the gym and lifting very, very heavy weights one day and then not doing anything for uh, another month. It's really about the consistency. And if you put in the work on a consistent basis, that's where you get the compounding effect from. And for startups, it's very simple, right? You just have to survive long enough um, to eventually find gold. It's not a guarantee that you will, but it significantly increases the chances. And that was also the case with Touch. You know, when COVID hit, that was really a lucky moment because everyone was suddenly looking for exactly the software that we are offering. Nice. Uh, fully agree with that. Uh, I mean, I, I heard the sentence, to do a business, you need to be in a business. So then you're connecting the dots, right? So you're, you're collecting the experiences, connecting the dots. And at some point, um, it, uh, it, it improves and you get, and you get better and you find out the, the way to do the business. So exactly. yeah, I, I think that's, that's a great, uh, that's a great piece of advice. Um, man, I have a last question that I wanted to ask, and I'm asking all of my guests this, this one, uh, do you have any books, a book recommendation, or maybe favorite podcast resources, blog posts that have been particular, uh, particularly helpful, or helpful for to you as a leader? Sure. Yeah. So the first part about the operating system, there I learned a lot from the book "From Founder to CEO" by Matt Mokery. 
I think it's a, a very excellent book on how to actually build a company. Very operational, very tactical uh, knowledge and templates that he shares there. So that's incredibly valuable if you're a leader in a startup company yourself and you really want to build this operating system, this machine. Uh, second book is uh, The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. You know, all the horror stories, etc. Um, I, I think it's just amazing how he describes it. No filter and just, you know, the honest truth. It is really, really hard to build a company. And the last part, um, not because it's our own show, but I once did an uh, interview with Ross Mason. It's episode 153 on the Swisspinner podcast. And he is the founder of MuleSoft. So he took the company public, was then acquired and delisted by Salesforce for, I think, $6.5 And at the end of the interview, he says something that got really, really deep. He said, oh, if I had known that life was a bit more about balance and not just work, 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 I had done a few things differently. And I think that message and the whole conversation is so deep because from the outside, he has everything, right? He has made a lot of money. He has a really amazing house, everything. But then he actually tells you, you know, money is actually not that important. That's sort of the message there. And it's much more about balance and being a balanced human being career is one part but you have family you have friends you have things that bring you joy take good care of yourself and i love that because i did not expect the conversation to go there when we started recording it uh, yeah that's amazing i need to I, I already wrote it down i need to listen to it because i'm i have the same problem i work too much uh and i think this is the back not the future of every entrepreneur right especially at the very beginning if you don't uh if you are not familiar with it so uh i think that's that's a great great point absolutely and maybe one bonus point there um one guy that just you know inspired me so much uh since COVID is naval ravikan the Arnold angelist he has very long podcasts and also there's a great book out there the almanac of naval ravikan and just the content he he says so much with very little words it's just on point and, and incredible advice. So highly recommend all of his content as well, of course. Great. Thank you, Silvan. Thank you for the talk. Thank you for the tips and insight. Uh, it was a pleasure to talk to you uh, today. Thank you, Matt. All the best. Follow Matt on LinkedIn and subscribe to the Better Tech Leadership newsletter.